I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. I am Movie Mike on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Distro. And on this episode, we are talking all about Disney Channel original movies. And coming up, I am talking to Christy Carlson Romano, who you would know as Ren on Even Stevens. She was also in Cadet Kelly and the voice of Kim Possible. I want to ask her all about her biggest Disney roles, some of her famous co-stars like Hilary Duff and Shia LaBeouf. Really excited to get to talk to her. And then after that, we'll kind of just get into what I consider to be the top five greatest Disney Channel original movies of all time. If you're checking out the podcast for the very first time, first of all, I just want to say welcome. Hope you stick around for a while. What this podcast is all about is I'm just a guy who loves movies and every single week I bring a movie topic. I give the latest movie reviews, always spoiler free, and talk about movie news. If you're someone who loves movies or just wants to learn about what's new out, what to watch, that's what this podcast is all about. So I hope you stick around, subscribe wherever you're listening to this right now. But I am just a big fan of this era of Disney and I want to get all into it. Without any further ado, let's get started. In a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast, one man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. All right, I'd like to welcome now to the podcast a very special guest, Christy Carlson Romano. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I am so good. It's so great to talk to you. And I posted online that you were coming on the podcast and I haven't seen this big a reaction from any of my listeners like so far. So it's really cool to have you on. That makes me really happy. It really does. Thank you. So I kind of want to start at the beginning of that as I was like reading through comments. It just seems like people have such a connection with like these early 2000s Disney Channel original movies. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. And just kind of why do you think that is that right now people are kind of going back and kind of reliving these movies? It's interesting. I do feel as though nostalgia is way more of something that is 
focused on with millennials and I, you know, our generation in general, I think that the shows that I was a part of kind of crystallized a point in time uh, that, you know, we didn't have all the content that we have now. You kind of had to watch the things, watch the programs and kind of attach yourself to the characters that you saw. And so people ended up with those, you know, sort of limitations really still vibing with certain programs. Even Stevens, Kim Possible, Cadet Kelly, like these things were watched in real time. They weren't streamed. They didn't have huge budgets like they have to have now so that they're, you know, these huge franchises like Descendants and stuff that, you know, are, are, are really what, what is catching any kid's eyes now. So there's something organic to it. There's something still very innocent. Uh, and I'm, I'm really proud that that's the legacy that I'm a part of. Is that kind of what inspired you to do the, the throwback kitchen of bringing on, you know, your fellow Disney stars? Like that kind of want of like that nostalgia feeling to have everybody kind of come back and reunite and talk about those movies? Absolutely. I do think so. And, you know, now we're webbing into even further because for a while it was just the, the Disney Channel original movies, the DCOMs, like that's what that was really helping get my channel on the map. But now I'm looking at, you know, Candace Cameron Bure and some of the older stars um, from the earlier 90s. And uh, it, it is really kind of a fascinating thing to talk about these different waves of nostalgia, these different waves of, I guess, what ultimately becomes an influence over a generation and how each celebrity handle that is interesting because they each have their own journey yeah and you embrace it like like you're all in for it right you're i feel like maybe some people would be kind of like stray away from those days but you're like all for it you know i do find that it's a mixed bag i think it's, it's really funny to me how some people are so anti that but then i do see them occasionally stepping into the you know it leaning into it and i get it that some people want to lean into it on their terms but the show itself is really a celebration of, of what was good and then talking about what's happening now. So it's a way of marrying the past, the present, and the you know, future of what people are trying to do and, and promote, really. Yeah, so I kind of want to go, if it's cool with you, go through some of your, your uh, Disney Channel roles in the movies and just kind of talk about those. Is that cool? Of course. So I am, I'm an open book. <laughs> so let's start first in 2002 with Cadet Kelly. How did you land this role? Because unlike the other Disney Channel movies you were in, this didn't come from a series. Yeah, that's true. That's a really good question. So basically, I had been on Even Stevens and Kim Possible had been um, going on and, you know, I had been sort of webbing out. And I think that when I was in, let me see, I was 16. This was, I take that back. Kim Possible hadn't started until after Cadet Kelly, which I find interesting now that I think about it. Anyway, so Hillary Duff's show, which was Lizzie McGuire. It was very popular, and I believe that the term synergy was being thrown around at corporate, where people were wanting to repurpose talent and put them together and see what that could do for ratings. So they took me from their you know, number two show and Hillary from the number one show, and they respectively did that. She was the number one, and then I was her you know, co-star or whatnot. So it worked really, really well. Cadet Kelly ended up being like the top viewed decom and also the wonderful world of, world of Disney film for many, many years. I think Cheetah Girls broke the record for Cadet Kelly, but even though it was like still in the top 10. And in my head, when I was watching Disney Channel as a kid, I felt like all you guys were just friends hanging out on the time. But 
you didn't meet Hilary Duff until you made this movie, right? Correct. I mean, she had her star had just risen with Disney. And uh, because her show, I think, was after I was in my second season and she was in her first. And so that's why I think right after that was when I got approached for KP because I was in my third season of uh, my last season of Even Stevens. And she had really just come come to be. So, yeah, that was interesting. So after this movie airs and you said, you know, it was the highest rated, how did it affect your career afterward? Like when you went out in public, what was it like? I do think that once I did Cadet Kelly, it kind of put me up a notch. Weirdly enough, even Stevens had a cult following, still has a cult following. And it wasn't the top rated because it wasn't a basic children's show there was definitely dimensions to it that made it interesting and quirky and like that was the whole thing was that it was about Shia and then my character was this type a character that kind of had her quirks you know I joked that if we did a reboot it would be really interesting to see if you know Ren Stevens didn't become (laughs) Little Miss Perfect and that she kind of fell from grace in some ways and couldn't really make that much of herself but and that would be you know probably something that would make sense for the show but when we're looking at the other stuff, I think it was very much more the kids programming, um, you know, the bully, the after school special stuff, like stuff like that. We weren't really doing that. We were doing something different. So we'll talk about it now. Even Stevens, the movie. And I actually rewatched it last night. It's my favorite Disney Channel original movie. And I felt like at the core of this movie, it's kind of the coming age, coming of age story of Ren. And I feel like I was kind of inspired by the character again, watching this again as an adult. But I wonder if you get messages from people saying that, like, Ren was a role model to them. Always, always. I always, always get that. You know, and that, to me, is is so important. And now, more than anything, having daughters, that is huge for me, too. Because knowing that that legacy is out there is all I could really hope for. And so what I find ironic is when people say, like, you know, oh, well, we're not going to, we don't necessarily want to come on the show because, or this is a pact, like, you know, the people that you'd think, wow, they're going to really want to be on the show. And then they just immediately pass on it. Um, I'm not sure why they pass on it, because it always seems like a really healthy, fun show to do. But it, it one would think that maybe it's because they don't necessarily want to have to talk about stuff like in the past. Yeah. And again, for me, legacy is something really special. And if you don't kind of like nurture that legacy, then what are you, what have you really accomplished? Exactly. So I felt like you and Shia, like your relationship throughout the entire series, of course, with you guys butting heads, but it really kind of all comes out in this movie. You guys work so closely together. Did he, did he ever feel like a, like a real life brother to you? Oh, I mean, we don't, we're not in touch anymore. And he's a very different person now than he was when he was a child. Um, and I never really knew him on the personal side, but when we were at work, it was encouraged for us to be sort of relating to one another as if we were really brother and sister. And I think because we had such like vastly different upbringing, uh, and vastly different worldviews, I really do think that that kind of helped our, um, our on-screen chemistry for sure. So you're saying if they made like a... Honey Boy style version of your life, it would be a lot different, right? Oh, right. Totally. I mean, yeah, unfortunately, I I actually really didn't know that all of that was going on. I didn't realize that Shia lived in a hotel. Like I had, I had no knowledge of any of that happening. And so that just shows you how different of a life teenagers can have. Like I just was kind of only concerned with myself and 
my my trying to get into college and trying to remember my lines and like we all had our own struggle. So this served as the the series finale of Even Stevens. And did you know about like the 65 episode limit when you started the show? I did not really understand much. I started at 16. So syndication wasn't a word I learned until probably halfway through shooting. And then, you know, at that point, I was I was considering what my next moves were going to be. I think at a certain point, you say to yourself, okay, this is great, but my agents and stuff want me to come off of this series and do something bigger. So there was pressures that started to hit right around the halfway point. So then 2003, you got the Kim Possible movie. How did you kind of make that jump from being in front of the camera to doing voice acting? So basically, again, with the synergy, right? I think that they had seen that Cadet Kelly did really well. So I think that kind of put me in the forefront of everybody's mind to cast me in something. Why vocal? I don't know. I, I don't, I never saw myself as a, um, a voice actor prior to that. I really had only done musical theater where I sang. I think we had, you know, um, a musical episode on Even Stevens that was really popular. Um, But I'm pretty sure I had been doing Impossible before that. So I I think that they just, I was on a short list of actresses. You know, there was definitely some interesting actresses on that list. And the producers chose me. I think that the producers felt that not only was I synergistic internally to Disney corporate, but I was the best fit because I was the age of the character. And from what I was told by the producers and the creators was that I was able to match the intent, the sarcasm and mix it also with the action that she needs to be able to do. So I'm, I'm very happy that that worked out in my favor. And, and when you did the Kim Possible voice, like it, was there other kind of like interpretations of it that you tried before landing on the final voice? I think that it was very much my voice. I think that Kim Possible is still very much my voice. But now when I try to do her voice for, you know, people and voicemails and just fun things in general for charity, uh, I can put it on. Um, I can do it. Uh, it's not my voice anymore, but I definitely think when I was younger, it was it was a version of my voice. And then I kind of just kind of had to tailor it to what she became. I think over time, it, it became sort of this more more and more iconic version of what a teenage girl sounded like. So if you had to pick your favorite Disney Channel movie, what would it be? Oh, goodness. <laughs> That's really hard. There's so, so, so many. I don't know. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I mean, my girl Halloween Town, Tim Brown. I mean, I've, I've yeah. always loved. I've, I mean, and I think some of their newer stuff's good. You know, I think, think High School Musical did a lot for, you know, kids being able to appreciate musical theater. And I think that's really great. You know, I think that High School Musical is, I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but I do think that it was important and that it was good. And they, and they, and I also really like, there's another movie that came out a long time ago called The Color of Friendship that won a lot of awards for Disney Channel. And I think that was about inclusion. And it was about a South African girl who comes to America and um, she becomes friends with someone in her school who is African-American. And there's just all these themes that are being talked about for young tween. They call them tweens. And these are conversations that were being had in like the early, early 2000s. So I do think that Disney has made an effort to have some harder, difficult conversations through their content. Well, I love that. And I saw your family just moved to Austin, Texas, where I actually lived there for seven years and I loved it. What kind of sold you on moving from California to Texas? I mean, pick a reason. I've lived in California my whole life. And this year is just 
destroyed my perspective on what's going on there. I mean, I can't, I can't condemn an entire state. That's not, that's just ignorant. Um, there are so many beautiful, and, and as much as I'm frustrated with things, maybe I'm projecting a lot of my feelings of 2020 onto a state <laughs> and I'm not the only one, right? Like there's so many people migrating from California right now and even New York. And, and it's like, people are just needing the move. In the last year, there was like fires right outside of my house. There was earthquakes throughout living there in the past few years. Like I remember distinctly that there was an earthquake while I was holding my newborn and coaching my my other daughter up the stairs. And I'm like literally watching this chandelier that we had like moving back and forth as I'm trying to walk up the stairs. And I'm like, this is crazy. And so now I have, I had some PTSD from that. So anytime I thought I felt something shake, I would have like ghost vibrations of earthquakes, even if we weren't having an earthquake. And then while I've been here, I have felt like little things like that, which could just be anything. I mean, it could just be in my mind really. Um, and, and it's, and it's and it being a tired mom, like those things happen physically. Um, and so then I, I remind myself, I'm like, that's not it. We're, we're good here. There's nothing crazy here. There's, you know, to my knowledge, nothing's gonna, you know, come for us. It's kind of just like, we can relax. We've got the space we need, you know, we've even got the space from the industry. And when we need to go, we're going to go back to California and we're going to figure out ways to film. And that's what we're doing right now. We're, we're going back. We're going to have a little cabin um, with only family and, you know, we're going to get tests as soon as we land and, uh, you know, be as quarantined as possible with family and then celebrate the holiday together in a cabin in Big Bear. And then in mid-January, we're going to start filming again for the cooking show and everything's socially distanced and everything is properly managed. So it's been an interesting year to make content in, but we have, nonetheless, we've done it. So where is your favorite place to make content right now? Because you have the YouTube series, you have your digital series on Hulu and Fox. Like what's your favorite thing to do right now? Wow. That's a, that's a good question too. I mean, I, I, my husband and I created a production company, I'd say like a couple years ago, and we like to see growth. I think we've been wanting to embrace YouTube and we haven't been collaborating with other YouTubers and we haven't seen the growth that YouTubers used to see. I think YouTube and the subscribership and the viewership has kind of plateaued. Uh, I think that there's just so many places to watch stuff right now that you'd think YouTube would have had a huge spike. I I really did think that when quarantine was happening, that a lot of my content, even past content was going to like zoom up, but it, did not. And so when I talk to a lot of other YouTuber friends that we have, um, they talk about it all the time. They're like, this is just what's happening. This is changing. It's not the same as it used to be. They used to make so much money on ads. And that's great because then you're the network. You're the, you answer to yourself. You are empowered. You don't have to sit around and wait for sponsorship money. So that was an old sort of outdated approach. But when it comes to doing something like the Taste of Fox, which is so great that they gave us an opportunity to do something different from the nostalgic, you know, kind of celebrity based guest format. It was something between me and my husband, like we came together and he and I totally collaborated. Like I came up with the idea, he came up with the name, which is very much important because it's the branding. And so we kind of came together perfectly to to create something for Fox. It wasn't just YouTube. And so it, it was fun to see the growth of that as well. 
So I'm looking forward to growth as a whole in the new year. And I don't know what that looks like, whether that's, you know, becoming a host on like a Food Network show or doing something more interesting on our YouTube. You know, it's it's something that we're constantly talking about, him and I. And another place I think you really shine is TikTok right now. That's kind of where I rediscovered all your stuff again. So I think you're doing yeah, some really fun stuff. Is that how you found me? That is really, like, I was like, I saw your, your TikTok and I was like, there's so much great stuff here. And that's kind of where I got on a wormhole on your YouTube show, too. So, I mean, I think that's a great place to be as well. That's kind of where everything's kind you of shifting. You know what? Honestly, I can't believe I didn't even mention that. So that was definitely something that I, I was... So TikTok Wild West, it's what YouTube used to be yes. in terms of being able to, I might actually be able to get to a million followers on TikTok. If I, I probably could have already hit that benchmark and it's taken me five years to try to get a half a million Instagram followers. And that's just, we're talking just like organic mm-hmm. engagement, posting multiple times a week. Like I'm not doing everything I need to be doing, but I am pretty consistent when it comes to the Instagram thing. And then and I'm late to the game, by the way, the Ashley Tisdales and, and the, you know, the, the stars of Disney Channel that came up with social media have huge, huge numbers. And for me, I do not. But the relevancy is still there. The, the, the fan base, the knowledge of my name is still there. Like you're saying, if you're putting it out there, people are like, oh, I know her. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just it's just this kind of interesting balancing act. But you make a good point. TikTok is I think the future and its own thing and its own vibe and I'm really looking forward to collaborating with people on TikTok. Yeah, well, I highly encourage everybody listening right now, go follow Christy on TikTok. She's at Christy Carlson Romano. And I just have one final question for you because I felt Please, like yeah. you were the OG when it came to Disney Channel stars. And I have oh, to thanks. ask, about, <laughs> and I got the weird thing about Disney Channel is all their commercials were just about Disney Channel. Like you would watch oh, right. a TV show and then you'd get a promo for like three minutes promoting their other content. But the most iconic, of course, were the you're watching Disney Channel with the wand thing. And since you were kind of at the start of all that, did you even know what that was when you went to film those? Yeah, I think I got a little jaded at a certain point because I was more like, yeah, yeah, this is working for me, but it's a Disney. Like, I don't think we didn't see the mania. We knew that kids liked our shows, but mm-hmm. kids to us didn't even meet. I'm talking about like other D- Disney Channel stars. We didn't, we liked kids and we wanted to be good role models, I think, for the most part, but it didn't matter to us that kids knew our names. It, it, it didn't seem like it was that important because they were younger than us, right? Mm-hmm. We all wanted to be like on CW or, you know, have big agents calling us to do big movies and, and cross over. I think all of us just wanted to cross over. But now these kids are huge. Like you go to Disney to become a star. We were not going to Disney to become a star. We were just actors. Uh, and, and I think we were trying to create, we didn't know that we were creating a brand name. We had no idea. Well, Christy, I appreciate the time. It's been really great to talk to you and everybody go check out all the things you're putting out right now. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. Please do. Please subscribe to my YouTube and check out all of my content. We, we put a lot of work into it and I love you guys and I love engaging with everybody. So, All right. Thanks, Christy. Yeah. Thank you. That was awesome. Thanks so much. All right. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Have a good one. Okay. Bye. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. 
We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hello. From Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives women history has forgotten. This month, we're bringing you the stories of disappearing acts. There's the 17th century fraudster who convinced men she was a German princess. The 1950s folk singer who literally drove off into the sunset and was never heard from again. The First Nations activist whose kidnapping and murder ignited decades of discourse about indigenous women's disappearances and the young daughter of a Russian czar whose legendary escape led to even more intrigue and speculation. These stories make us consider what it means to disappear and why a woman might even want to make herself scarce. Listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. I gotta say, that was super cool getting to talk to Christy Carlson Romano, and I was a really big fan of the show Even Stevens growing up and a really big fan of Disney Channel original movies. And that's what we're talking about on this episode. So now that we kind of heard from a Disney Channel star, I just want to talk about Disney Channel movies and kind of what made them special. I'll give you my kind of top five movies of all time. And then I also asked you guys online, what were some of your favorites, which I think everybody kind of has a different favorite movie depending on when you grew up. Now, I was born in the 90s. I'm 29 years old now. So the early 2000s for me were very formative of what I loved about the Disney Channel and what I loved about their movies. So first of all, let's just talk about what makes a Disney Channel movie great. And the thing that's different about Disney Channel movies is that they weren't really like or high budget productions like a normal movie would be. They're basically making a movie on a TV show budget. So I think that was a little bit of the charm of them, too, because you're not watching anything super flashy. It was just about kids and about families. And I think that's what made them great in the end, that maybe they didn't have all the special effects or big name actors, really. But there was just something about the way they were put together and what they were about that really made them great. Aside from that, I felt more so like, you know, normal box office movies that they almost felt like they were movies made by kids for kids. And I know that wasn't the case. There were still adult writers writing on these shows, but they just had this kind of appeal to where it felt like they were making movies for me at the time. And I think that's why whenever you were a kid, 
is the era that kind of you identify with when it comes to these movies. So for kids now, I mean, it's all like about the Descendants movies and other kids. It's about High School Musical. But for me, it was really those early 2000s movies. So I think that's why my list is kind of geared where it is. And doing some research on these, I kind of found out that even before, like I thought I was watching the original ones, but it turns out they started making these in 1983, but they didn't really call them, you know, their original movies. They were just kind of pushing out this content and being like, okay, these are movies for us, but it was right around. And the first real Disney Channel original movie was in 1996 called Wish Upon a Star that starred, yes, a young Katherine Heigl and Daniel Harris and was one of my favorite ones. Didn't make my list, but that's kind of the very first one that started it all. And then you go throughout the late 90s, the early 2000s, the 2010s, and even now they're still making them, so they're still around. So there's a kid out there now that 10 years down the line will have their favorite. So if I don't mention yours in my list, it's nothing personal against you. This is just what I felt like had all-encompassing what made a great Disney Channel movie. So at number five, I am putting... Cadet Kelly, which I talked with Christy Carlson Romano earlier. And I just felt like, and I just felt like it was her and Hilary Duff at kind of the height of their Disney career. And I remember being so excited for this movie because I did like Lizzie McGuire. I loved Even Stevens and having them kind of cross over together. It felt like a crossover movie. And I thought it was interesting that she said that it was Disney kind of trying to take their number one show and their number two show and put them together in a movie. And I think that actually ended up working for them really well. So I'm putting that at number five. At number four, I'm going with The Luck of the Irish. Now, Disney Channel was really big on making movies about sports, and I think they did every single sport known to man. They probably even made up some sports there in, in somewhere in these movies. But I felt like this one was a really great one. It was about basketball. There's an evil leprechaun. There's a budding romance. It has all the things that make a great Disney Channel movie. So I'm putting this one at number four. At number three... Ooh, it gets tough once you get to number three because there's so many great movies. But I'm going with Brink. Again, they made every single sport into a movie. But around this time, I felt like extreme sports were very popular among you know kids my age at the time. Myself, I was really big into skateboarding. Although my parents wouldn't let me skateboard because my cousin broke his ankle. And then was like, oh, you're not skateboarding. And I was upset about that. But I would watch it on TV. I would play video games. And this movie was about rollerblading, which I was terrible at. But what I loved about this movie was, for the first time, there was a character that I kind of related to. And in the movie, her name is Gabriella. And the problem I had with Disney Channel and Disney Channel movies was they always showed kids that had really nice houses. And that was a weird thing for me. Because I grew up in a trailer park and I never saw that represented in anything on TV. And you would see these kids in these really big two-story houses and bonus rooms. And I was like, what kind of life are they living? And in this movie, when they go to Gabriella's house, I was like, that's like the closest that's ever looked to my house or anything in my life ever depicted on the Disney Channel. And for some reason, that always stood out to me. But aside from that, I felt like this was always a great movie and one I even rewatched once I got Disney Plus. And yes, it's a little bit cheesy, but that's what, what made these movies great. The action sequences where, you know, you see them rollerblading and it's clearly a stunt double. <laughs> and it's a classic underdog story of, you know, the rollerbladers with no sponsors going up against the big corporate team and beating them in the end. 
You also have story about a friendship here and him kind of going behind their back to work. Like there was just so many things going on in this movie. And it's a movie that always reminded me as a kid to go big or go home. So I'm putting it at number three. At number two is a movie that I felt easily could have been a theatrical release. As far as these movies went, I felt like it had the most cinematic qualities and the best story and the most entertaining. And it was very close to being my number one movie. And the movie I'm talking about is Johnny Tsunami, which is all about Johnny who is living in Hawaii as a surfer. His grandpa is a super cool laid back guy who was also in Mortal Kombat. Not actually in the movie, but he actually did play Shang Tsung in the Mortal Kombat movies. And I couldn't really see him as anybody else, but he was a super cool laid back guy. Meanwhile, his actual dad in the movie is a really straight laced computer programmer guy. So it's all these kind of personalities clashing. He takes a job and moves him from the nice beaches of Hawaii to cold Vermont where there's nothing but snow. And it's all about him trying to find his identity being the weirdo for some reason in a new school only because he likes Hawaiian things like he asked for pineapple and they're just giving him a hard time calling him Hawaii. But he makes some friends and he learns how to snowboard, meets up with the girl, which is always a plot line in these movies. But overall, just a really great movie. One thing that doesn't make sense that I have to call them out for is how were they able to fly back to Hawaii? Because there's a whole scene where they run away from home, they get on a flight, and then are back in Hawaii, and their parents just kind of let them stay there and ride it out. Like, that would never happen now. That would be all over the news if they were able to pull that off. But I'll let it slide. It's a movie. And then at number one, a movie I rewatched just for this episode, my favorite Disney Channel show of all time, and really formative of kind of my preteen years was Even Stevens and the Even Stevens movie was just my favorite because it served as the season finale of that show and kind of rewatching it now as an adult you kind of realize there's some more themes there that I didn't really pick up on as a kid everything from you know the parents kind of going back and forth battling of him being out of work and then his mom bringing home the money now you have Ren dealing with boy issues and kind of discovering how to be herself and also that her family is kind of the most important thing to her. And then you have Lewis played by Shia LaBeouf just kind of being himself in this movie. I just think for me overall it's the funniest movie. I like the characters the best and I felt like I just kind of grew with them the most. And kind of seeing it all come to an end in this movie was at the time kind of emotional. And it's hard to believe that these early shows only had three seasons each. And I just remember them being such a big part of my life for so long, it feels like, but they were only on for like three years. So it was just an easy favorite for me. So those are my top five. I stand by those. And I asked all of you guys as well online what your favorite Disney Channel original movies, because again, whenever you kind of grew up with the Disney Channel is what are going to be your favorites. So some honorable mentions, Halloween Town from 1998 is a great movie. I kind of classify it more as being a Halloween movie, but that's also very high up there on the list. Xenon, Girl of the 21st Century. I got to admit, I was never really a big fan of Xenon, but there's some diehard fans out there, so I will recognize it as being a great movie, just not one of my favorites. My Date with the President's Daughter, which... I remember mostly from the theme song, My Day with the President's Daughter. Like, that's still embedded in my head. And that's kind of what Disney Channel did a really great job of incorporating some kind of music into every single movie. Which I guess what 
they kind of did like the mid 2000s was really where they were kind of focused on making everybody into a music star. So once the high school musical movies came out, that was where they were kind of gearing everything towards. So you have high school musical one, high school musical two. And what was so big about those movies is I almost didn't even classify those as Disney channel movies. I just felt like those were just regular theatrical release movies just how much viewership they had and kind of how big of an impact they had on pop culture. It's crazy to think that those are just on Disney Channel. Kind of the same thing with the Camp Rock movies and even with like the Cheetah Girls, all those kind of movies almost transcended the Disney Channel and just kind of made their way into pop culture as just being those actors kind of biggest movies. Again, for me, the heyday of it was kind of the early 2000s. So you got to throw in Rip Girls, Quince, Get a Clue with the very young Lindsay Lohan in 2002. 80's Million Dollar Cook-Off, which was a great one. Almost also made the list. It's just a classic Disney movie. And that's what I loved about them is they were just so kind of like, why would they even make a movie about this? Well, here it is. Also Stuck in the Suburbs with the very young Taryn Killam from SNL. Pixel Perfect, which was basically a Black Mirror episode before Black Mirror existed. And kind of a travesty here is they never made a fill of the future movie which was a great show. Ricky Ullman is Phil of the Future. They should have had a movie on him. And then in the later years, once I was kind of checked out of Disney Channel, we had, you know, all the series kind of making their own movies from Wizards of Waverly Place, Phineas and Ferb the movie, and really big right now are the Descendants movies. They've made three of those already. And then the Zombies movies are really big right now, which are all music-based. They have all the sing-alongs. So that's kind of now where they're gearing their movies towards. And then the final one I think I had the most tweets about was Smart House, which was basically a movie about personifying what we now know as Alexa. And most of these movies are now available on Disney. So if you want to go back and relive some moments and feel that nostalgia, all you have to do is click on and search whichever one is your favorite. Maybe throw some bagel bites in the microwave and relive your days as a kid. And I just hope you enjoyed this exploration of Disney Channel original movies, a genre I just feel overall is underrated. And also just thanks again to Christy Carlson Romano for coming on and talking about these movies with me. All right, so this is the part of the podcast where we just talk about movie news and I bring on my fiance and co-host Kelsey. How's it going, Kelsey? Good, how are you? I'm good. And you are currently back in Nashville and I am in Los Angeles and I can't wait to get back. And luckily it is very soon. I, I'm going crazy out here. Please come home. So did you see all the Disney announcements online? I did. I didn't like read in depth. I just saw that there was a lot of things announced. So they had what's called their investor day, which is basically them kind of giving all their projects for the next few years. And the thing about it that I was a little bit let down by is a lot of it is TV shows. And I'm like, I don't really care about their TV shows. And there were some cool movie announcements, but I mean, they made like over 70 announcements and it was hard to keep track of all these. So I just want to give some of the highlights and I think they're going really hard on Disney Plus right now. I think they're spending 14 to 16 billion dollars on new streaming content, which is a lot. So they're coming in hard. That's a, a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And I think the coolest announcement they had is that Chris Evans is going to voice Buzz Lightyear in a new movie. It's like a Toy Story spinoff, kind of like a prequel. So what I saw people online kind of debating is like, how are they going to make a young Buzz Lightyear movie? And he had to tweet that basically what it is, is that they're saying that Buzz Lightyear the toy was based on a real Buzz Lightyear person. So this is kind of his story of how he became Buzz Lightyear. So I guess that's where they're going with that. 
But I think out of everything they kind of announced, this one kind of has the most appeal to me because it kind of, while it is a Toy Story movie, I think it's kind of cool to have an origin story like this, which, I mean, Disney really hasn't done a whole lot of. They're kind of getting into that superhero genre of doing origin stories. Would you be excited to watch this movie? I would watch that. I will say, I feel like the only like plot lines that people really do now are either a remake or an origin story. Mm. I feel like those are your two lanes. That's kind of what they do now. So that's supposed to come out on June 17th, 2022. And that was the other thing that kind of, I mean, not bugged me about this announcement, but a lot of the stuff that they're getting people excited about aren't coming out for at least two years. So that's hard for me to look at something and be like, oh yeah, that's, that's great. But we're not going to be able to see it for two years. Like, I don't even know if I'll keep Disney Plus for that long. Does it kind of... Oh, we will We will keep Disney Plus for that long. Don't but, be dramatic. But my thing is, like, I could be dead by then. Like, these movies could come out and I could be dead by then. Why would you say that? That is an incredibly morbid thing to say. Like, I won't even go off on my tangent about why you just said that. That's just how I feel. Like, I kind of like... That's why I like surprise albums. When they announced it a couple days out, like, Taylor Swift just did it again. Like, hey, I got an album coming out. It's coming out Friday. You're like, all right, you have that time to get excited. But then there it is, right, already ready for you. Like, you don't have to wait forever. And I think the way we are now consuming things so rapidly, and we can literally go on the internet and find anything we want to be entertained, and just like that, flick of a light switch. All the things that we were supposed to see this year, we won't see till 2021. So we already have plenty of content for next year. So 2022 is not that far away to get new things. Think about everything that was supposed to be released this year and it got got pushed back to next year. So we have things to see next year. So I don't think 2022 is that far off. You're right there. I could get behind that. The other thing I'm excited about is they announced the third Ant-Man film, which will be called Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I think Ant-Man is a very underrated franchise in the Marvel Universe because... While maybe the story of Ant-Man isn't as great as all the other superheroes, there's something that's just a little bit funnier about these movies, and I feel they kind of go under the radar. Are you a fan of the Ant-Man movies? Uh, is this a good time to admit I don't think I've actually seen them? You've never seen it? I thought you watched Ant-Man. I don't think I have. I don't remember it. I think you would like the first one. The second one isn't as great, but I just really like Paul Rudd. And while it's not like as funny as the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, it's a little more like Paul Rudd's humor, I feel, in it. And it's almost kind of like a... I would almost say if Judd Apatow was making a Marvel movie, it kind of has that appeal to it. I mean, is that my homework for this weekend? Sure, yeah, check it out. You can review it next time. Um, the, The other thing I'm interested about from this announcement is that they are developing a new Fantastic Four movie, which I feel like everybody has been let down by every single Fantastic Four movie. And I don't know why they can't get this movie right, because... Haven't they done it twice, though? They've done it twice. Like, with two different casts? Yes, and they've all been terrible. And you have these really great superheroes with all these cool... I mean, it's four superheroes in one movie, and they can't quite get it down right. So I'm just kind of at the point to where, like, there has to be a little bit something more here that they're bringing bringing something back that has failed twice and now trying it again. So I'm going to give it one last chance and... That's it. Then I'm done with Fantastic Four. So it's coming from the same guy who's made the new Spider-Man movies. So maybe there's something there. Um, The other things I'm kind of excited about is, uh, I mean, I don't know if I'm excited about them at this point, but they're doing more live action remakes. They're doing Pinocchio, Peter Pan and Wendy, 
and then also Chippendale uh, Rescue Rangers. But that has, it's like, I guess it's a hybrid between live action and like real people because Andy Samberg and John Mulaney are a part of it, which I'm big fans of. So that could be good, but I just don't really love all the live action ones. I just, they don't have the same kind of appeal or charm as the original animated ones. I feel like I'm over the live action. They haven't, they just haven't been that great. Yeah. And they're, I mean, they're also doing now a Lion King prequel. So kind of like what you said earlier, they're, I think they're basically out of ideas and they're kind of banking on the fact that, all right, let's just do movies that people already know and love and do them in a different way. I feel they're a little bit of a cash grab at this point. I would agree. In other movie news, the new Spider-Man 3, which there isn't a great track history with Spider-Man 3. They kind of fail on that one. But I guess what they're trying to do, and it's been the rumor now for a while, is bring in all the Spider-Men into this one. So Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and then Tom Holland. But they did announce... That's not confirmed yet. There's kind of just rumors about that right now. But they did confirm that Alfred Molina is coming back as Doc Ock, which you would know from what movie? Nothing like the holidays. That's right. One of your favorite Christmas movies. And when we were watching that, I was like, I know I recognize that guy from somewhere, but I couldn't quite put it together. And then I found out that he is Doc Ock. I think there's enough hype around this and all these rumors that it's going to be all the Spider-Man in this movie. I just don't know if they'll be able to get it right. Because while the concept is cool, why the idea of having them all together on screen is cool, I think it could be more about the idea of making that happen than them actually thinking about making a good movie here. Would you think that would be cool to see them all together? I mean, I'm just trying to picture how they're going to incorporate everyone into that i mean i think it could be interesting I'm try- i feel like there's been other movies where they've like brought in like original actors and like other parts well i think where they got the inspiration from this was with the success of spider-man into the spider-verse where he has those other spider-men from all the other different dimensions and i think that's kind of how they're gonna turn it into this movie so i don't know how they're gonna make that happen but that seems like a really expensive movie to make because I think Tobey Maguire is asking for a minimum of like $15 million just to be in this movie. So going to be a very expensive movie for them to make. And then finally here in movie news, sadly, Debo from Friday has passed away. Tom Lister, he died. He was 62 years old. And I guess I was always holding on to the idea that maybe someday they would make a, a reboot of Friday or a Friday after after next And since John Witherspoon, who played Pops, has passed away, and now Debo has passed away, it's looking less and less like it'll ever happen. But Friday is one of my favorite movies of all time, a movie I can quote like no other. And not only that, my mom can quote it like nonstop, which is always cool to hear. But I thought that was pretty sad. He was only 62. That is sad. Not to end it on a downer, but yeah, I think that one hit me a little bit. It was just sad to see. I mean, that's not that old. And everybody kind of knew him from that character. I would see him going out to conventions and, you know, taking pictures with fans. So that was a sad one to see. Any uplifting news that you have on your end? I did not come prepared with anything uplifting. Well, if I told you they were making a final and fifth Indiana Jones movie with Harrison Ford, does that do anything for you? Not really. You know, I was never really a big fan of Indiana Jones either, but Harrison Ford like pushing 80 doing this movie, I think for that reason alone, I would be interested to watch it. But that's going to do it here for Movie News. Thanks, Kelsey, for hanging out with me. You are welcome. I got to give my shout out of the week. All you have to do to get a shout out is just send me a tweet or Instagram message or comment on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Mike Distro. 
I'm at Mike Distro on all the socials. And uh, just say you're listening to the episode, post a screenshot or a picture of your car dash listening to an episode, and I'll give you a shout out. And this week, we're going to John G on Twitter. He is at John G 500. And he tweeted the link and said he was listening to the interview I did with Jonathan Lipnicki, which I don't do a whole lot of interviews. I'm not great at them. And I usually only bring people on that I'm really kind of was a fan of as a kid or as a fan of something they're doing now. So if you guys are liking the interviews and are enjoying those, let me know and I'll try to book some more of those. So thanks, John, for listening and thanks for that tweet. I will talk to you guys again next Monday here on the podcast. Be sure to subscribe, like, follow wherever you're listening to this right now. And I will talk to you guys Monday. Later. Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.